Chapter Seventeen of Just As I Am. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Just As I Am by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Chapter Seventeen. Come to Grief. It was the nineteenth of December, two days before the Monday appointed for Humphrey Vargas's execution, and there had been as yet no commutation of the sentence. Very few people were thinking of the condemned criminal on this clear winter morning, for there were pleasanter subjects for thought among the crowd on Tangley Common, where the South Dalesha hunt met for the first time this season. There had been a hunt breakfast at the manor house, and Andrew and his subordinates were now going about with tankards and decanters for the refreshment of those horsemen who had not availed themselves of the opportunities indoors. Between thirty and forty horsemen were gathered on the smooth stretch of sward in front of the manor-house railings, and the road before the house was crowded with carriages. The hounds were clustered on a grassy knoll apart, with huntsmen and whipper-in keeping guard over their movements, while the master trotted here and there on his powerful chestnut, big with the business of the day. There were half a dozen ladies among the red and dark coats, a brace of farmers' daughters, rosy-cheeked and buxom, Mrs. Upham, the lawyer's wife, who, according to popular opinion, ought to have been at home minding her children instead of scouring the country on her husband's gaunt grey gig-horse. Miss Morrison, a small squire's daughter, out with her father, a plethoric, sandy-whiskered man in a well-worn scarlet coat and mahogany tops. Mrs. Tilson Tudley from Highclere, a half-pay major's wife. And lastly, on a perfect hunter, in a habit of perfect cut, with the neatest little chimney-pot hat and the newest thing in white ties, Lady Frances Grange, the finest horsewoman in that part of Dalesha. "'How is it that the Blatchmarden people contrive to ride such good horses?' asked Mrs. Tilson Tudley of Mrs. Upham, with an envious glance at Lady Frances's thoroughbred brown. "'I thought they were as poor as church mice.' "'So they are,' answered Jack Upham, replying for his wife, who had as much as she could do to keep her ungainly grey from getting his hind legs into a concatenation with the hind legs of other horses, all shifting and wheeling and fidgeting in their eagerness for the fray. "'They've precious little money for people in their position, but as Lord Blatchmardon never spends anything except upon his stables, he contrives to cut a tidy figure there.' he lets everything else at the castle run to seed i believe lady frances has hardly a second gown to her back said mrs tudley lady ritherdon told me that she was tired of seeing her in black net and yellow roses yet she always looks well said upham she was out and away the best dancer at the hospital ball uh, among the girls added the lawyer, reminded by a vindictive glance, that the lady to whom he was talking prided herself particularly upon her waltzing. Oh, "'It's a pity she can't get married,' drawled Mrs. Tudley, languidly compassionate. "'Can't!' exclaimed Mrs. Upham. "'She's not much more than twenty, and she may never have seen anybody she cares about.' "'Oh, but don't you know girls in that rank are expected to marry young?' A girl of that kind is brought up to make a good marriage, and if she doesn't do it in her second or third season, she is stamped with failure. Now, Lady Fanny has had two seasons in London with her aunt, Lady Luffington, and nothing has come of it. 
i should put her down as a decided failure though she really has very nice ways and is rather good style oh, don't you think her pretty oh no said mrs tudley decisively too thin too brown too angular oh but surely she has fine eyes i didn't say she was hideous retorted mrs tudley with acidity she had met lady frances at the hospital ball and at lady ritherdon's annual garden party which was an omnium gatherum for half the county and on the strength of these two public encounters affected in her conversation with people of mrs upham's class to be in the blatchmardon set but the consciousness that she was out of it gave a subdued sourness to her tone whenever lady frances was talked about that young lady and her brother lord beville had ridden into the manor-house shrubbery to talk to dora blake and her nieces lady frances was bending from her saddle to say something confidential to tiny who was her particular favourite in the family morton was on the common with sir everard and his daughter who had driven to the meet in a mail phaeton i wonder why miss courtney doesn't hunt speculated frances glancing across the laurels at the group on the common her father keeps plenty of horses she might as well enjoy her life oh i don't know that she would care about it said tiny and i know morton wouldn't like it oh he doesn't like women to hunt i suppose said lady frances reddening a little oh can't bear hunting women if it wasn't for that i should hunt butterfly jumps beautifully and she's considered my particular property don't you know but when i gently suggested riding her to hounds morton looked black as thunder and protested that no sister of his should ever unsex herself by scampering over hedges and ditches and cannoning at gates among a herd of rough farmers and impertinent cockneys rather narrow-minded of him isn't it well it's hardly what i should have expected from an advanced liberal but i believe men who take a wide view in politics think themselves privileged to have narrow ideas about everything else i wish you were coming with us tiny all the same i am sure you would enjoy it enjoy it i should fancy myself in heaven if ever i marry a nice biddable man i shall hunt four times a week lord beville rode in to say that they were moving and lady frances trotted gaily off by his side but the gaiety was rather in the movement of her lively young horse than in her own face which was grave and even troubled they stopped to speak to sir everard and dulcie and to morton whose horse was drawn up beside the phaeton and who seemed indifferent to the prospects of the day in his delight at being with dulcie she was looking her fairest and brightest as if something had happened to put her in particular good spirits we're going to draw yarfield gorse said morton you might drive a good way with us sir everard oh do papa said dulcie so the phaeton followed among the horsemen together with various pony chaises and family vehicles of the wagonette or inside car species which provoked some muttered animadversion from the hunting men it was a lovely morning clear balmy with a warm south-west wind gently stirring the last leaves upon the young trees and bearing in its breath the perfume of distant pine woods and the fresh cool odour of newly ploughed uplands the sunshine lit up the ragged hedges where the blackberry leaves still hung 
beautiful in their decay with every variety of tint from green to bronze from crimson to darkest purple and where the hawthorn berries glittered like jewels against their russet background the narrow winding river yonder in the valley reflected the blue of a sky that was almost without a cloud every vestige of last week's frost had disappeared morton felt the influence of this genial atmosphere the beauty of earth and sky he was well mounted and moderately fond of hunting not an enthusiast like his father but able to enjoy a good run in a pleasant country with all nature smiling at him a long day in a scotch mist over ground in which his horse sank to the shoulder was not his idea of bliss even though the scent lay well and the run was popularly supposed to be the best of the season to-day he was in excellent spirits he had spent a good deal of his life with dulcie during the last week and he had made up his mind to be happy yet even to-day the sight of shafto jeb pounding along on a mealy chestnut unpleasantly recalled that conversation which he had overheard at the sugar-loaves and gave him an uncomfortable feeling he was riding on a strip of turf beside the road lady frances grange and lord bevel by his side morton and frances were old friends he and bevel had been together at rugby chums at school and at home and morton had been on the pleasantest terms at blatchmardon ever since those old rugby days he was as much at his ease with frances grange as with his own sisters before his engagement to dulcie he had been in the habit of spending a good deal of his leisure at blatchmardon playing billiards with lord bevel taking lessons in farming from the old earl dawdling about the neglected gardens and shrubberies with frances at home he was always full of work but at blatchmardon where nobody had any turn for industry he was contented to waste his time blatchmardon was his place of rest and recreation then came his engagement to sir everard courtenay's daughter and it seemed as if all those idle hours in the library to which nobody had added a book for the last forty years in the billiard-room and in the picturesque old garden were over and done with for ever he called at the castle now and then just often enough to escape the charge of neglecting old friends but he dawdled away life there no longer all his leisure was devoted to dulcie neither frances nor her brother resented this defection they accepted it as an inevitable consequence of new ties a new and absorbing affection morton is terribly earnest said bevel he never does anything by halves i'm glad neither you nor i take life as seriously as he does fan frances answered with a faint sigh oh perhaps we are wrong and he is right life may be a much more solemn business than we think and its seriousness may be brought home to our frivolous minds one day in some unpleasant manner bevel could not bring himself to the consideration of a question so metaphysical don't know about that he said i hope we shall always manage to rub on somehow frances missed her old companion sorely at first missed him always indeed for her friends at blatchmardon were not many the earl did not encourage society of any kind we can just afford to keep ourselves he said but we can't afford to be eaten out of house and home by other people so there were no visitors coming to stay at the castle no roster of guests one set departing as another set arrived 
no clubable men came from afar to shoot lord blatchmardin's pheasants or to smoke in the big stone hall which served for lounge and billiard-room two or three times in the season the earl would ask a neighbour to join him in his day's sport but for the rest of the time he and bevel and the gamekeeper shot the birds and enjoyed their picnic luncheons of bread and cheese and bass with a relish which not every man can experience whose midday appetite is coaxed by perigord pies and choice liqueurs sometimes frances was allowed to accompany her father and brother on their long tramps through boggy plantations over deep beds of fallen leaves and showed herself as good a shot as either of them bevel had taught her to handle a gun before she was twelve years old just as he had taught her to ride and to fence and to play cricket making her his companion in all things it had happened therefore that morton being bevel's chosen chum had become in the common course of things lady frances grange's chief male friend indeed her only one a little given to lecturing but if a girl likes a man she likes to be lectured by him not at all given to flattery but lady frances detested compliments he had been kind and attentive to her always bringing her such books as she cared to read such songs as she cared to sing all of the lightest and airiest character he had taken care that she was supplied with flowers and fruit from the extensive hothouses at tangley he had made it a point with his womenkind that they should visit her and invite her to their house and make much of her and then just as the family at the manor had made up their minds that lady frances grange was to be lady frances blake morton had fallen head over ears in love with sir everard courtney's daughter his aunt dorothea went so far as to tell him that she had always supposed frances would be his wife my dearest aunt what could put such an idea into your head he exclaimed with a look of wonder which proclaimed his perfect innocence i like fan immensely i am just as fond of her as i am of my sisters but the notion of marrying her never came into my head well all i hope is that it has never come into hers replied miss blake gravely i used to wonder certainly that you should choose a girl brought up as she has been with such exclusively masculine surroundings a girl whose tastes are all masculine but she is graceful and attractive and i thought you thought quite wrong dear auntie as you far-seeing women often do when you speculate about other people's affairs morton answered lightly and no more had ever been said upon the subject miss blake and her nieces still called upon lady frances grange and invited her to the manor-house and the friendship without being absolutely enthusiastic went on pleasantly enough nothing in frances's manner from first to last indicated that she felt she had any right to be offended at morton's choice or that she was so offended she talked freely of dulcie and praised her warmly your brother could not have made a better choice she said to clementine and horatia you know that in a general way i detest girls your sweet selves of course excepted but i consider dulcie simply perfect and now carriages and horses had arrived at yarfield gorse a wild bit of land on the slope of a hill crested with fir trees and here the serious business of the day began 
there was a good deal of cantering about and about in a seemingly purpose manner which the people in the carriages were able to see a good deal of dismounting and tightening of girths and a general getting ready for the fray and then all in a moment there came the shrill cry gone away the hounds went leaping and tumbling over the hillocky ground like a flash of living light and the field rushed helter-skelter after them in a hand gallop with lady frances and morton in the first flight there was a narrow bit of plough a hedge and then a splendid stretch of pasture where the quiet store cattle stood at gaze wondering at the hoop and riot of the chase as it sped by them and was gone perhaps as they settled down placidly to their grazing they were half disposed to believe that the whole thing had been a vision a phenomenal appearance in the air stick by me cried frances looking round at morton as she took the hedge i know every inch of the country isn't this glorious she asked as they were galloping smoothly across the grass neck and neck with only the huntsman and a chosen few skimming along in front of them morton could not deny that it was so though he had made up his mind long ago that hunting women were detestable and had told tiny so when she wished to ride butterfly to hounds the fresh clear air the open country the sense of being borne along by an animal powerful enough to carry him to the end of the earth or at least to the edge of the horizon yonder where the distant woods made a line of purple against the clear blue sky all these filled him with delight he forgot that this girl by whose side he rode was not dulcie that it was in some measure a treason against dulcie that he should be utterly happy in her company he forgot everything except the keen rapture of being carried across that level pasture to the gap yonder through which the hounds were just scrambling and though he had stigmatised hunting as an unfeminine pursuit he could but own to himself that frances grange had never looked more exquisitely girlish than at this moment as her slight figure moved in sympathy with every movement of her horse and the delicate oval of her cheek warmed with a flush of tenderest carmine while her dark eyes sparkled with delight he's making for the water she cried and the bank's horridly risky no matter we can't lose them you'd better go round remonstrated morton there's a shallow ford lower down go round she cried contemptuously we might as well go to london i shall risk the dip yonder you needn't come unless you like and what's become of beville there was no one in front of them but the officials and the master with about half a dozen of the hardest riders amongst whom frances could not distinguish her brother's figure behind them the field had scattered wide some having found a gate in the corner of the pasture while the rest had taken the hedge at different points bevel who was always well to the fore could hardly be among these but there was no time to wonder about him fox and hounds were on the other side of the narrow river and a few of the horsemen were scrambling down the bank while the prudent ones galloped off to find an easier passage there are a lot refusing cried morton you'd better come round oh good-bye retorted frances waving her hunting crop morton was not to be dismissed so cavalierly he put his trust in providence and a clever hunter and followed lady frances 
the stream about four feet deep ran at the bottom of a hollow the steep bank made dangerous by brushwood and mountain ashes and alders there was hardly room for a horse to squeeze himself between the trees and the clay bank was so rugged and treacherous that it needed a clever animal to keep his footing in the scramble down to the water one man had had his ducking already and was chasing his horse across the next field but francis did not accept this gentleman's disaster as a warning kindly intended by providence for she thought herself better than any member of the south daleshire some wretched stockbroker from london i dare say she said to herself as she steered her horse cautiously through the trees he got down the bank cleverly enough but for some inexplicable reason chose to take objection to the water and made a frantic rush for the opposite side here again there were trees and brushwood and caution was needful but caution is unavailing with a horse gone suddenly mad he made a wild bound out of the stream dashed up the slippery bank knocked his rider's head against a tree and then rolled back into the water oh please somebody see that my horse isn't hurt cried frances as morton pulled her out of the saddle a dripping diana and then stunned by the blow against the tree she fainted in mr blake's arms happily his horse was strong enough to carry them both up the bank while lady frances's thoroughbred struggled up on the other side very little the worse for his bad behaviour and was caught by bevel's groom who had just come quietly up on his master's second horse the hounds were half over the next field by this time and morton was alone with lady frances the groom looking at them with an air of respectful imperturbability from the opposite bank as who should say if she's dead i can't help it and if she's alive i'm ready to obey orders a hunting field is no place for the display of emotion i think we're out of it morton said to himself as he pulled up his horse and stood with frances in his arms waiting for her to come to herself he remembered in the next moment that he had some brandy in his hunting flask but before he could put the bottle to her lips lady frances revived a little opened her eyes and looked dreamily about her where are the hounds she asked not immediately aware of her somewhat singular position upon somebody else's horse i'm afraid they're in the next county would you mind taking a little brandy i'm sure you must be giddy and ill i feel as if i were in a merry-go-round answered lady frances no thank you i couldn't possibly do it as he offered his brandy flask good gracious where's my horse on the other side of the river don't be frightened your groom has got him the brute isn't hurt oh i'm glad of that i don't mind being smashed a little myself but i wouldn't have primus hurt for all the world or at least as much of it as i'm entitled to primus is that his name facile primus bevel christened him i believe it's about all the latin he knows she slipped out of morton's arms and dropped lightly to the ground looking as bright as if nothing had happened though she was very pale and her habit was streaming with water and plastered with clay are you sure primus is all right brooks she called to the groom yes my lady he's right enough more shame for him do you think we could catch them she asked morton 
you're a better judge than i am but i'm sure you ought not to ride any further to-day perhaps you are right my head is a little painful she said putting her hand to her forehead i suppose it's the effect of the tree there's a farmhouse on the blackford road not half a mile off said morton who had dismounted before this if you will let me put you on my horse and lead him there your groom could go back to blatchmardon and send a carriage for you oh that seems an awfully spoony thing to do said frances and it's rather too bad that i should keep you out of all the fun i don't care a straw about the fun i only want to take care of you she was feeling faint and sick and inclined rather to lie down on the grass and let the world go by her than to make any kind of effort so she allowed morton to settle the matter for her whereupon he tied up one stirrup shortened the other and mounted the lady on his own horse we're going to dawley's farm he called to the groom you can go back to blatchmardon and send a carriage to fetch your mistress what am i to do about lord beville's horse asked the groom do the best you can the man went away dispirited he had been going across country in his best style though he was supposed to have been nursing his master's second horse in such a manner as to deliver up an unexhausted animal when the day's work was half over and now he had to trot quietly back to blatchmardon leading the guilty primus End of chapter seventeen